Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. We're going to be in John chapter 11, which uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. 44 verses. So, got some ground to cover. John chapter 11. So, uh, I know it's January, not January for too much longer, but I want to talk about summer vacation. Um, July 4th, that was my family's week. We're always gone for July 4th, which means we got to see some really, really cool um, fireworks shows around the country in some really cool places. Um, A few that stick out to me, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. You ever been up there? Uh, up in the Smoky Mountains, looking down on fireworks. That's a cool experience. Very cool. They're, they're tiny. They're little. Uh, smaller than you think. Um, or uh, Boston, on the Boston Harbor. Anybody been there on the 4th? You see fireworks just across the whole thing. Super cool. Um, nothing, nothing compares to the fireworks show on July 4th in Washington, D.C. You can't beat it. Anybody been to that one? It's awesome. Uh, can't beat it. Also, we were there for the whole week. So imagine walking around, seeing all of that really, really great um, history, Ford's Theater, White House, all the Smithsonian's. And then you get to the National Archives. I walked up to the security guard standing next to the Declaration of Independence. And I asked him, do you think Nick Cage could have stolen this document? <laughs> I asked him. I needed to know. And he goes, not on my watch, which was the perfect answer, yeah? Perfect answer. Um, So we leave there. Go to the the National Mall. There's easily a million people there on the National Mall. And um, there's this orchestra over there by the Capitol with all these big lights. And for some reason, John Stamos is there hosting it. And the fireworks finally start. They're awesome, right? Super cool. What would you expect from the Capitol? Great fireworks show. Um, but the fireworks show were, like, the fireworks were great. But do you know what made it the best I've ever seen? It was the monuments on the ground underneath the fireworks. It's the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, the White House, those things. Um, Jesus is going to perform a miracle in this passage. Is it big? Is it flashy? Yes. The most significant miracle that he performs. But he is very clear as to the purpose. What is he trying to do with this miracle? He is very clear with us. It is so that we would believe that he is God on the ground. And then we would live differently because of that. We don't celebrate the fireworks. We celebrate what they represent. In the same way, this miracle is going to point to Jesus, who is God on the ground. Y'all with me? Uh, that's what the miracle, Jesus can be clear with us, what it represents. So I'm going to start reading in John chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1, because that's where you start. Y'all ready? All right, so John chapter 1, 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his head with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. If you're an underliner in your Bible, underline those words, through it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he's the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Jesus is saying, I'm the light, follow me. After saying these things, he said to him, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was, had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. We'll stop there. Um, first thing I want you to see in this passage and in your life is that chaos is all around. Chaos exists. Brokenness exists in the world. In this story, it looks like four things that build on top of each other. Tragedy, confusion, disappointment, and hopelessness. Tragedy, confusion, disappointment, and hopelessness. A tragic death occurs. This leads people to be confused at Jesus' actions. Jesus, why didn't you go? Why didn't you come? Immediately. Uh, or the disciples are confused. Jesus, why would you want to go back into the heart of danger where people want to stone you? Confusion going on. Disappointment because Jesus does not show up according to their time schedule. And then hopelessness that we see in Martha. Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus shows up late, they later say that we'll just see him in the last day. So I want to look at Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And their relationship with Jesus. So we're going to go way back up to the front of the chapter. Their relationship with Jesus. Well, we see a couple words, a couple clues given to us by Mark. Uh, One, the one that you love is ill. Verse 3, you see it? The one who you love is ill. The word love used there is a a word for friendship and affection. Uh, a A very friendly kind of love. So they know Jesus well enough to call him Lord, but they also know him well enough to consider him a friend. So the call here that they're sending for Jesus to come is for us the equivalent of you get a phone call, your best friend has been in an accident, your proper response is, what hospital, right? That's what they're expecting Jesus to do, to drop everything, come immediately to their aid. But he doesn't. But then check out, well, Jesus spoils the story first in verse 4. Then verse 5 says this, that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Different word for love, though. That word is agape. Everybody say agape. Agape is a heavenly love. It's a godly kind of love, and it's the highest kind of love. What is John trying to say? He's trying to help us understand this, that yes, they love Jesus. But the love that Jesus has for them is even higher, is even more, is even more intense than the love that they have for him. But Jesus' love is also different 
um, Jesus' love is purposeful. Purposeful in his timing. Purposeful in his intent. And it's a different kind of love. So what I'm calling this is a delay of love. It's a delay of love. In this chaos, Jesus is showing us a delay of love. Not that Jesus is delaying his love, but, but that his love is purposeful in his timing. Uh, I took our high school seniors to a conference a few weeks ago in Atlanta. It was huge, 55, 60,000 people at this thing. Awesome. There's been one sentence from it that was said that's been really swirling around in my brain. It's from a woman named Christine Kane, great speaker. She said this, that a lot of us, we want to serve a God that takes us to things, but in reality, we serve a God that takes us through things. Two things versus through things. Jesus says that, that God is going to be glorified through this, through this miracle that we know is coming. And that's just been really swirling around in my head. Uh, Jesus is behaving strangely here. If you read this on a bad day, you might think that Jesus is being stubborn. Or you might be confused just like the disciples are. Confused. Why is Jesus glad? We read, the, we read this at the bottom. That Jesus says, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Is Jesus glad so that um, the disciples would just learn some kind of lesson? No, it's bigger than that. It's that Jesus wants them to see him do something that they have never, ever seen before. Not even close. Jesus wants to blow their minds. And he wants them to see that, they, that he is God. And then look at verse 16. Thomas, don't we love Thomas? Doubting Thomas. He said, let us also go that we may die with him. Um, following Jesus is complex. Yes? It can be complex. Sometimes faithfulness, I think Thomas really has something for us here. Sometimes faithfulness looks like Jesus, I'm with you to the end of the line, but I'm pretty sure this is how this is going to go. Pretty sure this is how it's going to pan out. Thomas is saying, Jesus, I'm with you. Let's go. We've got this, but I'm pretty sure we're going to get killed before we even get to Bethany. That's how this is going to go. But I'm with you anyway. Following Jesus is complex. Faithfulness can be complex. Even in the midst of doubt, even in the midst of confusion, faithfulness can still exist. So Jesus' loving delay here, what does it do? It lets you and me, but it lets all these people squirm and get a little bit uncomfortable with what Jesus is trying to do. Because they want Jesus to behave, they want Jesus to act, they just want Jesus to do something on their terms, on their timeline, in their way. And it makes them uncomfortable when Jesus allows them to kind of squirm. Uh, so, following Jesus is complex. It's got to ask us this. It's got to make us ask the question, has God ever worked in your life in a way that uh, you didn't expect? Or has he ever worked in a different way than you want him to or on a different timeline than you were comfortable with? Me, for sure. God works in his own way. And sometimes his timeline, most of the time his timeline, does not match mine. So, poor Doubting Thomas, who gets a bad rap, I think he really has something for us here. Jesus can take your concerns, Jesus can take your worries, but that's just it. We've got to take those things to him, rather than let worry anchor us down and paralyze us to the point where we're not even going to bring our worries to Jesus. Because if we believe Jesus is Lord, that means we believe that Jesus holds every moment in his hand. 
So we don't let worry win by letting it keep us still. We actually have an active waiting that pushes us towards Jesus in faith, that he is in control. So Jesus' delay in this story, or maybe Jesus' delay in your life, is meant to do this. It is meant to unravel what we want him to do, to make space for what he wants to do, which is bigger and better. Maybe not bigger and better, maybe uh, for your gain and for your good. That's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus' purpose is much bigger, much bigger. Uh, So the other day, I was um, preparing for this morning at my favorite coffee shop in the city. And uh, it's up in the Heights area. And I love this place. I can sit there for hours, which I did. I get hungry. Time to go. I get up, walk outside. It's pouring down rain, pouring down rain. I have a computer and an iPad and my Bible and books in this backpack. You would have seen me running across the parking lot to get into my car, sprinting. So I get in my car, start the car, ding, 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 ding. My car says, you need gas. Cool. Okay, no problem. I know how to pump gas. That's cool. Uh, Pull up to the gas station. Every single pump has a plastic bag on the handle. Every single one. I'm serious. Pull up to the next gas station. Try number two. Supreme gas only. I'm not Jeff Bezos. I'm not making money. I'm not. (laughs) Come on. Pull up to the third one. It's small. Two pumps. And it's built wrong because it's on the wrong side because my gas can is on the wrong side. So I have to do the weird thing where I have to back in there. You know what I'm saying? So I do that. I don't even fill up. I just want to get out of there. I just see it. put 15 bucks in. That's it. I go home. Pulling up. It's, it's, it's dark. It's raining. Pulling up. Ramping up to I-45, which is just a dream, right? Love I-45. No. It's raining. It's 545. Silly me. It is a... It is a sea of red brake brake lights, is what it is, okay? I needed Moses there, like, part. (laughs) Um, So, I'm wrapping up, and I literally say out loud, Lord, increase my patience here. Lord, increase my patience. Um, I want you to put yourself in the mindset of Mary and Martha in this story. As they're looking out the window, waiting for Jesus to show up. Is he here yet? Mm-mm. An hour later, do you see him? No. Lazarus, he's not getting better. He's supposed to be here. Do you see him? For how long? For days, waiting for Jesus to, to peek over the horizon. Is he here yet? No. What would it look like in your life right now as you pray for miracles, as you pray for God to work, as you pray for God to change you or change someone you love, what would it look like for you to bend yourself to God's timing? To say, not my will, but your will be done. A tangible way to do that. What if, when you, like we were just a second ago, up here praying for miracles, for the thousandth time that you pray that God would do a miracle, work a miracle in your life or in someone else's life. You pray, God, would you do this? But then in the very next breath you say, but Lord, increase my patience. While I wait, give me faith to wait. Give me trust to know that you are in control of every situation and that you are in control of every single moment. What would that do, church family, to your uh, walk with Jesus? What would that do to your family's walk with Jesus? I think it would turn impatience into expectation. And then what a gift would it be if that expectation just increases your hope in Jesus in every single moment?
turning impatience into expectation. That comes from asking the Lord for patience. Asking the Lord for patience when he doesn't do things on your timeline. When he doesn't work according to your terms. Because here's the gift. We're going to see this. Is that Jesus actually steps into our chaos. To them, Jesus steps in late. He's late to their chaos. And um, maybe he would have shown up and said, a Messiah is never late, nor is he early. He, provi- he arrives precisely where he means to. No, he wouldn't have said that. Uh, he says, he says something, that your brother will rise again. He just spoils the story. He does this all the time. Your brother will rise again. So let's pick up a reading in verse uh, 22. Again, Mary says, uh, 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha's doing this thing that I want you to see. I'm calling it um, searching. Where she's going between doubt to faith, to doubt to faith. Lord, if you had been here, and you could read that in a couple ways. It could be this, Lord, if you had been here. Or it could be, Lord, I don't know. I don't know how you read that. I don't know what her tone is. But following Jesus is complex, right? So she's between doubt and faith and doubt and faith. For you, choose your Lazarus moment. Choose your crisis. Maybe it was a while ago. Maybe it's now. Which is more readily apparent? Is it your doubt or is it your faith? Because we're human beings, it's probably your doubt. What does Jesus do for Martha in this moment? Doubt, faith, doubt, faith. She's wavering. Jesus steps into the middle of this cycle and offers her just a statement of truth. Your brother will rise again. And then a second one in verse 25. Your brother will rise again, and then he uh, says, uh, I am the resurrection and the life, which we'll talk about. Do you see how between her doubt and her faith, it is truth that centers her? And truth does not shame her. Truth does not shame the doubter. Truth actually lifts the doubter, uplifts and encourages. You can see this in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Truth does not silence us. Truth does not shame us. It centers us between our doubt and between our faith. Uh, Tim Keller explains doubt like this. He says that doubts are like antibodies. Without wrestling through our doubts, Without wrestling through our questions, we are defenseless against tragedy. We're defenseless against uh, hard questions. We're defenseless against um, uh, um, crises of faith, like antibodies. We need them. We need to sort through those things. So how do we do that? I kind of like what Martha explains here, is we do these things. We approach Jesus, we voice our doubt, and then we remember truth, which means that we have to listen to Christ. We approach him because he can take it. We voice our doubts to him because he can take them. And we remember truth because Jesus is the truth giver. Jesus gives and uh, only gives us truth. And see that all of this happens before the miracle. There's work that we got to do. Following Jesus is complex. There's work that we have to do before we see Jesus do the miracle. He wants us to know. He wants us to wrestle, which is why he uh, has this delay of love. All this happens before the miracle. So we see this in verse 25. The big, the big statement. Jesus said, 
to her. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is all about belief in this passage. He is all about belief. So we're going to circle back to what he just said after we look at the fireworks here in a second. So uh, notice that Jesus is, it is truth that centers Martha. That's sister number one. Here's sister number two. Let's start reading verse uh, 28. Actually, I'll just sum this up for you. Verse 28 is, Martha, is Mary figuring out that Jesus is here and she hears that Jesus is coming. So she gets up and she runs. Everybody say runs. Jesus gets up and he, or Mary gets up and runs to Jesus. And this is verse 32. 32, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. We like Mary. Mary is our favorite character. Mary and Martha, that's Luke 10. Parents, by the way, your kids are studying Luke 10 as we speak upstairs. Something that made me think about. Um, we love Mary. Martha's distracted with much serving. Mary chooses the good portion. Mary does what is right. She sits at the feet of Jesus and listens. And here we see her again at Jesus' feet. And she says to him something familiar, but from a different place. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. Your view of Jesus will impact your relationship with him. How you see Jesus matters. How you read scripture, it matters how you pray, it matters how you worship. Your view of Jesus will impact your relationship with him. So onlookers, they say, man, see how he loved him. Skeptics say, couldn't he have saved his life? When you look at this story from top to bottom, when you look at this, what does it do to you to see Jesus wait, deliberately wait to show up? What does it do to you? Or how, how do you handle, how do you grapple with this picture of Jesus with his head in his hands weeping? He's coming on the clouds. This is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace. He's coming with might. Here he is on his knees weeping. How do you handle? How do you grapple with that? How you see Jesus matters and it will impact your relationship with him. And then tuck this question away. My favorite detail of the story. If Jesus knows what he is about to do in two minutes, what is he weeping over? What is it that deeply moves him? What is it that greatly troubles him? Tuck that question away. So, Jesus waits deliberately. He weeps. What does that do? Let's read in verse 38. <clears throat> Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of the dead man. Could that be a new identity for her? The sister of the dead man? She said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
original Jesus juke. There it was. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around. Why? That they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. What a crazy sentence to read. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, to them, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. So let's talk about this. Uh, how long had Lazarus been in the tomb for? Four days, right? Four days. Jesus, this is the timeline of how things would have gone out because Jesus was over by the Jordan River about a two-day walk. Jesus is told Lazarus is sick. Sometime really shortly after, during, right, really close, Lazarus dies. Then Jesus waits for two extra days and then he begins the two-day walk back, making Jesus exactly four days late. What is going on there? Three would have been better, right? That would have been foreshadowing, like, awesome, this is so cool. Like, God knew what he was doing. Jesus is up to something different here, right? Four days. Why four days? Pharisaical teaching and Jewish tradition taught this, that after the fourth day, or on the fourth day, after someone had died, that's it. Their spirit's gone. It's just a body, and things are really going to start to decompose at that point. So they're like, okay, what's done is done on the fourth day because they believe a myth about death. Our world believes a lot of myths about death, a lot. Whether it's rebirth, it's nirvana, it's samsara, it's, it's oh, my loved ones are looking down upon me and everything's great. Or it's nothing. Like, we believe a lot of myths about death. Jesus is showing you that he has control over all of it. Everything is subject to him and to his reign and to his power. Jesus has control over all of it. Jesus has control over everything. He has control over every single moment. So their grief and their suffering and their tragedy is going to be replaced very soon with wonder. And then we'll see in a couple weeks with the most intimate worship moment ever recorded. That's what's going to come out of this miracle. So amazing. So Jesus is purposeful with his timing, and he has control over everything. So I want, to, I want you to write yourself into this story for a second. Martha's concern, just right before the miracle, verse 39. Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead for four days because she knows this teaching. She knows his body is going to start to decompose. She knows that this is it. Her concern before the miracle is this rancid odor. Why is that her concern? Because she believes that he's really, really gone. And this is her new reality. I'm the sister of a dead man. And Jesus was too late to bother with me. Or Jesus didn't want to mess with me. Or Jesus had other things to take care of besides me. And her new reality is now this hopelessness that her brother is gone, and she has to carry that with her every single day, that this is my life now. That's Martha. So again, how you view Jesus will impact your relationship with him. So this is important. If Martha's version of Jesus and if Mary's version of Jesus is only good, if Jesus is only good, if Jesus works in this way, if Jesus is only good, if Jesus heals Lazarus before he dies, 
How small does that make our Lord? Tiny, right? He's limited. He's small. Not very, not very worthy of my worship if I can put him in a box so easily. So what does Jesus want to do? He waits four days to shatter their belief about this myth of death, to shatter through it and show him that he has control over everything and he is more powerful than even death, the thing that we fear the most. Jesus has control over it. And he comes and he intervenes, but he does it late or he does it on his own timing, not their own timing, because tragedy doesn't play by our rules and neither does Jesus. Jesus intervenes, comes in, and he has a different purpose. We seek relief in struggle, in chaos, in calamity. The thing that we want most is relief. What Jesus wants most for you is just your belief. His purpose is so much bigger than just our relief. His purpose is for our belief. But the greatest thing about our Lord is this, that yes, he does not offer relief immediately. He doesn't offer relief yet. Just yet. And in the meantime, what does Jesus do? Jesus offers himself. Verse 25. Let's skip back up. Verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The question, do you believe this? Mary and Martha needed a healing miracle. They got a resurrection miracle. Mary and Martha needed this. What did they get? They got this. They needed something small. Jesus gave them something huge. I don't know what kind of miracle you need. But what if I told you that what Jesus wants to do is far bigger and far better and for your good and for your gain? They needed this miracle. They got something else. But greater than the miracle than they got and greater than the miracle that they needed is the actual miracle maker who is standing there with them. Who will one day ultimately defeat sin, Satan, and death. So, what is Jesus weeping over in verse 35? What is Jesus weeping over? What is it that deeply moves him? And what is it that deeply and greatly troubles him? It is the fact that Lazarus is going to have to die again. Mary, Martha, and all of his disciples and all the onlookers, they're going to have to die. Jesus is weeping on your behalf, saying he understands, he knows that we have to deal with the rancid effects of sin. We have to carry that. We have to work through that. And Jesus knows that. He doesn't just offer us immediate relief from it, though. What does he do? He offers himself in there. He intervenes. He steps into our chaos. And he loves us. And he relates to us. And he grieves. But Jesus' grieving is not hopeless, is it? It's not hopeless. It's not baseless. Jesus' grieving is so that we can relate to him and so that we can know him. But he knows that soon, just a few chapters later, he's going to reverse the curse of sin. He's going to silence the devil's claims upon us and 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 the enemy of death. He's going to remove the sting of death. And because of that, because of what he does on the cross for you and what he does out of the grave for you, I can say... That God's glory is displayed in my life in this. That I have loved ones, and I hope you too, that lived and believed and died in Christ. And because of that, they are more alive right now than they ever have been. 
right now. That's God's glory displayed in my life. I don't know about you. Hallelujah to that. So Jesus' work on the cross and his, and his own permanent resurrection is the thing that silences the graves. Silence the graves, holding us, silence the enemy's claims upon you in every single way. I just want to speak that over you today. The trial that you're carrying, the miracle that you're praying for, Jesus has control over it. Jesus reigns over it. Jesus' work is going to be for our good. It's going to be for our um, betterment. And ultimately, though, what is it going to be? It's going to be for his own glory. So see that Jesus, he delivers on his promises. He delivers on his promises, never, ever um, wavers. He spoils at the very beginning of the passage, right? This illness does not lead to death. But he has to keep reminding us and reminding us because where would we be if we didn't have Jesus' constant touch and constant reminder saying, I am, know me, know me, know me. But then he offers himself. Jesus offers himself. I want to invite you this morning to run to this Lord who has his arms wide open for you, knows your pain, knows your suffering, knows your grief. You can relate to him in that way. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus offers himself as the resurrection and the whole and abundant life, as the resurrector and the giver of brand new life. I want to invite you this morning to know him better or maybe to know him for the first time. This kind of miracle worker who does not work according to my timeline, praise God for that, who does not work according to my plan. I need a much better plan than, that, than mine. He works in much better ways. Know Jesus who works in and for your good, for his glory. Know that kind of Jesus. And the one who offers himself in your hurt, in your pain, and will take you out of it. If you don't know him this morning, today is the day that you can. I will be in the back after the service. Would love to chat with you about that. Um, but we're going to worship. So if you want to close up, put your stuff away, we're going to sing a song called Run to the Father. I want you to think about Mary running to the feet of Jesus, expressing her need, expressing her sorrow. And Jesus does not shame her. Jesus does not say, hey, get up. It's going to be okay. No. He says, well, he gets down and weeps with her. That's Jesus. And then he does the miracle. And we're going to see later the, the, the worship that comes out of that. But right now, we get to do that. We get to step into a moment and say, Lord, you are worthy of my worship. Not because you've done great things in my life, but because you are great. You are the miracle worker. You are the one that I want to know. I want to know him. Our worship should sound like this. I want to know him for his character and for his goodness, not just because of all the good things that he's done. Those are great. But God is good. God is good. I want to invite you to worship. So let's stand and worship together.